Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. It's Sarah May. And this is an episode um, all about shame, the shame that results from trauma. Um, And maybe I'll just say shame because I don't know. A lot of people don't know they have this kind of shame. It's they're very invisible bruises that kind of define your sense of self. Um, And the reason I've decided to do this episode is because of my own recent enlightenments. It's like such a a delicate, layered, um, invisible thing that I I guess I would just invite you to take this in and, um, I don't know, explore it because it's, it's almost like it's inaccessible from the conscious mind in many situations. Um, and shame and trauma cannot be separated. They are incredibly interwoven. Uh, The reason I created this episode is shame is virtually unavoidable if you have been through a trauma, and oftentimes the shame is even harder to process and heal from. Why? Shame is an unseen, self-authoring wound. Like, it creates a whole slew of behaviors because we are tasked with carrying it. And as you might be aware, uh, shame is toxic. So in order for us to contain it, we need a wide buffer, like a padding between it and consciousness. However, the way we create this buffer is often very damaging and also shame-inducing. So it's kind of like a domino effect. And so most people have shame memories and they just avoid them for most of their life. And then they're just in you. Why? Why would people avoid this? Because it is too painful for us to look at. It's also painful for other people to look at. Like, if it tells you anything, it's often also a topic avoided by therapists, just because of how much discomfort it causes. So I would say this is kind of like an entry-level exploration of possible shame in your person. And um, as I said about my own recent enlightenments, these... These layers get unpeeled just the tiniest bit at a time. Um, I'll also include some reading for you if you're interested uh, in the show notes. So you can head to um, yaywithme.com. And I think also SoundCloud will have all the show notes. So there are three parts. The what, the why, and the how, the tools. Part one, the what. Trauma that stores with it feelings of shame. So you can think of trauma as a moment of fracture in that a part of yourself, um, if the trauma goes unprocessed, will remain trapped and managing the trauma memory. So it's like your brain basically cracks in three. There's a part of your brain that's still like managing the freaking, you know, freak out moment of the trauma. And like this section of the mind just deals with that. And it's it's like a tight knot. And um, then there's another part of your brain that fractures off. This is like your conscious adult self. And that brain just 
helps you get dressed in the morning, helps you go to work. Um, it helps you function. So this is like the brain that you're aware of that can, that you would call yourself identity. And this is the self that continues to age and grow up and define more of who you are. And then there's this third fractured part of yourself. And this is the self who manages the effects of the trauma by negotiating all of the other things associated with it. So like, you know, if you have any PTSD or if you have any triggers or if you have any um, flashbacks, so this part of your brain will negotiate how to deal with that stuff. So that self might start using drugs or sex or eating compulsively or, you know, might start abusing someone else in their lives as a way to start start to make sense of the feelings they have inside by creating it on the outside. Um, another version of this is like putting yourself in dangerous situations so that you have a reason to feel intense terror and anxiety all the time. Like, oh, it's because I'm putting myself in these dangerous situations. So these are all like different selves. And they don't really, um, they don't really make sense together. They all kind of contradict. And the main thing I want to focus on in this episode is just the, these are the vicarious results of, um, trauma and they all cause shame in the process. And you might not realize it, but there are a lot of shame memories that accumulate in the psyche around this fractured new experience of self. Like these selves betray your own self-definition. So the grown-up self that's like getting shit done and going through the motions and going to work and getting dressed and trying to find a relationship, that self can't make sense of the other two selves because they're fractured away from consciousness and they're, they betray all of your goals. And these are, these accumulate new, I would call them bruises, and new shame memories. So let's say you take on a habit of um, compulsively eating or abusing drugs. That will feel shameful because it's obviously not in alignment with all of the other goals that the adult grown-up get shit done self has. And these types of shame memories are often more insidious. Like they are more difficult to access in therapy. They're more embedded below the conscious mind. And they're, they're much harder to heal from because they don't have context. They don't have uh, uh, a true logic behind them. And therefore they become like a rot on the soul. And they start to warp the trajectory of the rest of your life. Because when people are traumatized, they develop usually maladaptive coping mechanisms. Like, usually they are self-harming coping mechanisms. And that's just, like, because you, you, get, you grab what works. How do I shut this off? How do I shut this off? Usually it's drugs, sex, food, um, etc. And the effects of this shame are somewhat more toxic than the original trauma itself. Because it's like you're doing it to yourself. You are the, the author. 
you know? So with this split brain, the managing the trauma brain, the managing uh, the rest of your life and being a grown-up brain, um, and then this, this other part of your brain that's doing the self-soothing is also managing the shame and keeping the shame hidden from your conscious self. So that part of your brain is doing so much hard work. It's like, um, it's suddenly like, you know, if you leave a bunch of like, you know, viruses running on your computer while you're trying to use it like as a regular computer, if there, if there's like some other, you know, cell of <laughs> people, hackers and Roma- wherever it is. I was going to say Romania. I don't know why I thought of Romania. I think I heard a podcast about a hacker in Romania. Anyway, let's say there are hackers that are using your computer and uh, downloading files illegally. Your computer will be so slow because it's doing all this extra work. And it will probably crash and it'll be buggy. Same goes for you. Because you've got a whole part of your brain that is just trying to buffer shame. Keep it away from your conscious brain. Because it's so fucking painful and it's too overwhelming. And so what happens is the adult self that's trying to keep on living and being a grown-up has such low bandwidth, such a low tolerance for difficulty. So the resources are so taxed. And, you know, part of your body is still holding a lot of pain and using a lot of energy just to keep you normal. And that also causes shame. Because you'll be thinking, why am I so incapable? Why am I a mess? Why did I act like a fucking psycho at that party? Why can't I keep a relationship together? Why can't I be happy no matter how much I work out and do all the right things and have all the right stuff, etc. And just, it's, it, this might be familiar to you if you have been through traumas in your life. Um, but trauma survivors, the most common feelings you you have are dread, hopelessness, and terror. And from just normal things, you know, like uh, anticipating, um, you know, something bad happening at work or something like that. Like there's such big, heavy, dark feelings. And that's partly because they're coming from something else. They're coming, they're, they're in you already. They're pervasive in your psyche. And that's why you become exhausted by acting normal and keeping normal patterns. It's why you might find yourself like relapsing into whatever, you know, coping mechanism you have all the time because you don't have the reservoir for self-control. So also to know trauma will tie to the thing that has overlap with it topic-wise. So, for example, if you have trauma related to a relationship, relationships become triggers, which is not convenient in adult life when you're consciously seeking attachment and trust and closeness. So, in short, the effects of trauma are incredibly nuanced and they bring with them additional traumas, all of which cause a lot of self-blame because we don't want to do any of them. And they make us feel weak and petty and untrustworthy and disgusting and low and like we're lesser humans. It becomes uh, just a, a shitty definition of self. 
Which brings me to part two, the why. Shame comes about in illogical ways, including when you are a victim. And that's another reason that it's really hard to talk about and tease out. Because it won't make any sense to you or to anyone. And it's, it's like um, a belief in uh, our own damage. It's a belief. It's, um, it's different than, you know, a, it's different than an equation where you're saying if this, then that it's like a feeling, you know, it becomes like a, a truth and you might be like, for example, you might be ashamed that something really unpleasant happened to you or that you have been hurt just to have a wound is it feels like you can be ashamed about being having been hurt so the shame is tied to the mark left like an inner blemish the feeling might be like i was dirtied i know pain um you can also have shame that's tied to a reaction you had to something that doesn't match what others would deem logical or appropriate or what you would deem logical or appropriate Another really common source of shame is the shame around actions you take as a result of trauma. Like, that's one that I can relate to a lot. It's, it's because it's confusing. Because unless you are trained on topics like trauma and shame, or if you're a therapist, it's really impossible to understand or anticipate all of the natural side effects of experiencing a trauma. So instead, you will watch yourself behaving a certain way and see this is me doing these things. This is the logical cause of these things. You trace A to B, and that is what builds up a false identity and reinforces a new self, one that you are ashamed of, one that is capable of more self-harming activities and also driven to make sense of the actions by taking on a, a new definition. If I am taking these actions, I must be this kind of person. Um, and... I mean, it's, it's such a weird, shame is such a weird thing because it's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like the most intense version of pain. Even it's almost like pain combined with disgust, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, the ugliest form of pain that you can't look at. And the fact that you can't look at it makes it into something uh, taboo. Like the difficulty in acknowledging it makes it into something that feels like it's wrong. And if it was something that was not that way, if it wasn't taboo, if it wasn't so icky and uncomfortable to look at, I don't think it would cause as much shame. I don't think it would be so hidden from view. It's just the discomfort we ourselves feel in looking at it it's like you have to squint like ugh, gross no thank you so it's a it's a funny textured version of, of a wound it's like a a weird um disappointing uh knowledge <laughs> i don't know if that any of that makes sense but anyway back to the self-definition that if you are a person who starts kind of taking the actions based on not understanding yourself 
in the in the experience of this new self definition for me that was i am putting myself and my body in dangerous situations i must not be worth protecting which evolved into i don't give a fuck i will do anything to feel relief and this was kind of an accumulation of terrifying and self-harming actions and experiences they were all aimed at getting myself to be used to the feeling of terror um but that created not only a deep set sense of shame because in the process I'm betraying what I really want, which is safety and self-honor. But it also created a new identity. Shame, um, because it is fractured away from mental view, becomes a powerful author of a new identity. And for me, that was, I am a bad kid who is not worth trusting, who is fucked up, and no one gets me. I am nothing but my physical body. Um, there will be nothing but badness in the future. Things will only get worse. It's kind of a sense of doom and dread. Because that's kind of what was happening. It's watching this happen. You know, like more bad things will happen. They will always happen. Um, but for you, it might be something like, you know, if let's say if it's just the ickiness of the wound itself, that still creates, that feeling still creates a, I am gross. Like, that's such a subtle self-definition, but that's so toxic to just feel gross, you know, like a gross person or disgusting. That's like, it, def it warps everything in your life. Your ability to connect to other people, your ability to be loved, to be pleasured, it affects everything. Um, and because it's hard to look at, shame gets protected in the mind. It gets fractured off. It also is tied to the age at which we had it in logic and in feeling. I've described this in a past episode as um, like a truck that crashed at the bottom of a river and the truck will rust and it'll create drag and eddies and debris will get caught on it and it'll be unseen from the surface but it's, it's, it's pulling down so much slowing down the flow of that river so much. So while at a certain point in my adult life, enough people had died that I was friends with, um, that I was realizing like, oh, my lifestyle is not practical. I had to clean up my life on the surface and start to work on myself and start to go to therapy and try and figure out all the shit that was going on in my life. Um, and I, I worked on mostly stuff like, you know, the, the very superficial diagnosis. I wasn't working on shame because I didn't realize it existed. It was like, it, it was so far away from my conscious mind. And I mean, one of the main things I had to work on first was PTSD, partly because PTSD prevents us from consistent lucid experience. However, shame colors your eyeballs like who could tell you that what you see is gray you have no idea that it's gray to you it's just the truth and others might avoid talking about that to accommodate you um but shame is where it's like we can't even see that we are living through it it's almost like um to a person that lives in shame it's like it comes out as like don't go there no, I'm not going to discuss that. No, I'm not going to believe you. That's not true. You don't get it. You would never understand. That kind of thing. 
And ironically, shame is necessary in our bodily reactions. It's like, it's like anger. It's like a signal that something isn't right and we need help understanding it. Because it's a betrayal of self that's so painful, it's, it's almost like too painful to look at without assistance. And it's, it's, so we, must, we just avoid it. But it's a signal to a wound that causes inner conflict and it needs stitches. So it's a sign that something has deeply betrayed us and it, we need some help to mourn and process it, to be um, understood. We need help to be understood or at the very least given salve, you know, in the form of acknowledgement, a witness. Even if it's ourself at a much older age, it's like it needs a little support, um, bracing for, for us to properly look at it. Um, another aspect of shame memories is the projection of all future occurrences based on this. So your shame memories will make you think, I will always be this way. Others will always be this way. I will always do X. Others will always do X. And that's just like a common trait is you believe everything based on this secret logic. And the reason that we do this, the reason that we kind of hold these memories in our minds, we, we don't look at them and, and not confront them, is because we often have to go on with life. And often that involves, you know, continuing to live with whatever situation really fucked us up. Maybe it's, you know, you have to exist around other people who abused you or do not support you. Um, so it's, it's more like a logical way to continue to be able to function. Um, however, the memories and the emotions are easily triggered. And especially when you are exhausted or you're low on resources, which happens often if you have a fractured self. And these rusted trucks as I call them, also will send out echoes. Like you will see repeats of whatever self-definition you have um, in your life. Like you will anticipate them coming up again. You might reset the stage for it to happen again. And you will also have like, it's almost like you're scanning the horizon for more of these experiences. So this is when you, you might actually have like weird heightened responses to certain things. You might overreact to um, a loss. I know loss is always painful, but like for you, it might be like, it might take you down for like, you know, a month, something like that. Like, so you can think of these as phobias, phobias of a similar feeling. So everything is very heightened related to these bruises. Um, often these phobias include someone you trust or someone you might lose. Like, for example, a therapist. Which brings me to part three, the how, the tools. So this is kind of a tough one because I think so much of shame work really has to be done with um, professionals. And, and I think also multiple types of interventions, meaning you you might want to try multiple changes in your life 
multiple types of support in your life. So I would say a great first step is finding a therapist. A great second step is taking up yoga and meditation. Um, and also just getting out uh, in nature. This is a calming, grounding um, practice. And if you're unsure about how to start the process of like meditation or mindfulness, um, I recommend a book called When Things Fall Apart by Pima Children. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I'll put a couple links in the show notes. Um, actually, I'm going to put one uh, reference. I don't know if I can find it. I'll try and find a link. But I'm going to put one reference to an article, and I'm going to put two books. Um, okay, the first tool is called, it's just a shame reflection. So this is just for you to try on in your journal or in your mind right now. Do any of your behaviors in your life negate your needs and require you tolerate abusive behavior from others? Do you currently settle for less than or so-so in your relationship? Is there something about you that you would be devastated by if others were to find out? For example, those you work with. Um, and the reason for these prompts, I know these won't apply to everybody, but just vague prompts to see if you have any soreness in any of these areas. Um, because it's just like a, if you answered yes or they, these did ring true, it's like, then you might have some shame to work on. And another possible feeling, which I want to invite you to reflect on, if you simultaneously feel pulled toward wanting to be seen and known and also wanting to hide and be invisible. So it's that kind of paralysis. Like, it's really painful and confusing. Uh, like, unsure which way you want to go all the time. So if so, you might have some unprocessed shame. All right. Next tool is called a partner shame checklist. And this is because, like, if you are feeling stuck in your relationship, maybe you guys are trying to do couples counseling or you can't seem to get to any solutions in your relationship, there's a good chance a lot of people have unprocessed trauma and they don't realize it, but they're doing a version of dissociation when it comes to relationship conflicts. Relationships can be very traumatizing if you have relational trauma. So it looks really different when it shows up in a partner. So this is just for you to scan if, if this is happening in your relationship. It'll appear like your partner has amnesia, like they're living in a different reality than you. So they might have a lot of defenses like blame, anger, and distancing. And they also might have coping behaviors um, that are contradictory, like scripts that are contradictory around particular topics. So by amnesia, I mean like a person might be really angry and attack you and then have no memory of it. So if you are are curious about if your partner's suffering from some shame trauma memories, then look for any kind of disowned type of experience. Like other things to look for are if their their inner world is really chaotic, like if they lack um, integration in their memories and their emotional experiences, or if they are overly rigid in their um, 
emotional memories or fixated in their emotional memories. Like, and that's because people get stuck in certain areas. So if you suspect your partner is affected by trauma, uh, like if they have a version of dissociation around certain topics, you can't force them to realize this. It's almost like trying to force two opposite magnets together. The solution really becomes grounding them in that moment that they're triggered and reacting to them with curiosity and compassion and helping them to tolerate the feelings in their bodies, like helping them to just sit in the feeling. Um, But just know that first and foremost, the goal is to create safety. And ultimately, the goal is for them to have a feeling of self-compassion. So if this is happening for you, I would say it'd be great if you could find a couples counselor or a counselor who has experience working in trauma. Um, This tool is really more context for you if you are the other partner and you're super frustrated and confused because um, a lot of people who have relational trauma, meaning trauma from relationships, they are triggered by feelings of attachment and also feelings of like a fear of loss. So if you've been working on shit and you guys are stuck, this might be a factor. All right, next tool is called naming. And I've put this in many, many episodes, but this is really helpful and simple. Um, It's a great tool for if you're working or, or just starting the process of working on shame. So when you can simply name an inner experience, no matter how vague, no matter how like nondescript and almost pointless it is, you can just barely begin to create safety in yourself and just start to move into a more reflective space. There is so much power in just the simple act of naming a feeling, regardless of how amorphous and vague it is. It's like, it's just the the beginning of starting to walk a path that has so far been so overgrown and blocked off. So this was definitely the case for my own work in therapy around trauma. It felt like there was a blank space in my brain that I could not access. But by even describing this to a therapist, I was able to grow more comfortable with just the exploration process. It's all very strange when you're working with the brain. So you might be saying like, you know, I don't think I feel that way. I don't know. I have a vague memory of saying this to my boyfriend at the time and I remember being upset like it'll be kind of like disparate dots that you're trying to connect so if you are a partner of somebody who is struggling with shame naming is also helpful to do for somebody else just simply being able to call out what someone else is is feeling or or literally repeating things they are saying back to them in a more concise way is incredibly validating and grounding and it's it feels like a lot of the time like this wouldn't be enough. Like you think like what am, what good am I doing? Especially when something like this is this simple. Um, but this is a lot of what like a good therapist will do for you if you're working on a shame memory. Like in a room to a person who is having difficulty acknowledging something really really painful, it can be like you are seeing something as true or valid for the very first time. Like. You part of you still doesn't believe yourself. And yet in the process of just hearing someone echo it back to you, you believe it the tiniest bit more. Um and 
I I had that experience in processing my own traumas. I had so many additional traumas related to shame just caused by the numbing habits I had taken on. And these secondary traumas were truly the most difficult to process because so much of me did not believe myself. Like, I didn't believe that it was not the result of just me being me versus me on trauma. And still to this day, some of that shame lingers. It's incredibly potent and toxic. Um, And I'm very grateful for this context and understanding, which I have gained mostly through reading, because it has illuminated so much of the complexity of the effects of trauma and um, on just my life and on my self-understanding. I'm amazed that I can still uncover new understanding so many years later. Um, But it's like an onion skin. Just the lightest layers will unfold a little bit at a time. And they they almost do that when they're ready, you know? Um, Okay, next tool is called Compass of Shame. This sounds like a tool I would make up, but it's actually not. This is from a dude named Donald Nathanson. So these, the compass of shame is, these are the most common defenses against shame. Uh, So I want to invite you to listen and see which one you might fit into. So his compass has four major points, north, south, east, and west. And these each represent four main scripts that shame takes on in your person. So the scripts being ways of defending yourself against shame. So I'm going to paraphrase directly from an article, um, and I'm going to put a, I'll notate that in the show notes. So begin paraphrase. So the north-south pole of the compass of shame involves aggression, north being aggression against the self, meaning self-hatred, self-punishment, like you have a definition of yourself that says, I am the problem. South is aggression against others, meaning lashing out, blaming, like you are the problem, not me. And both of these aggressive strategies are ways that people attempt to eliminate or avoid shame. The east-west pole of this compass is based on avoidance. So east would be we avoid others and we isolate, so we are not exposed to potential shaming experiences. And the West is we avoid our own inner experience, meaning we numb and we dissociate. Uh, Another term for this is mind flight, so we don't feel our own shame. And of course, all four of these defenses do not resolve shame. And in fact, they often make it worse through their consequences. They actually increase and maintain chronic shame instead of reducing it. So one person might use the South attack other strategy and combine it with mind flight, which involves avoidance of the awareness of feeling shame. Um, But this person who's attacking other people, you can see from the outside that they are full of shame, but their defenses are so strong that the individual will not be aware of it. A more avoidant person, on the other hand, might feel intense shame in relationships And that might make them isolate and uh, just not talk to people or or engage in relationships as a way to help minimize the shame experiences they have. And that person might always see themselves through the eyes of of other people as um, someone low and terrible. Like the, the, the people they visualize in their minds might be extremely critical and therefore 
avoiding any connection will become like vital to their existence. And to this person, they might feel they might only feel relief from their shame when they are alone, which just reinforces their isolation. So the goal, if you are recognizing anything out of any of these scripts in your own personal behavior, maybe you have multiple defense strategies, is just is to recognize both the feeling of shame when it comes up, like what circumstances, and also note the defense mechanism you have to it. And if you are having difficulty recognizing this, then I would recommend giving yourself the option of maybeing each one in your journal. Like, ask yourself, reflect on each one and ask yourself, am I doing this to myself? In XYZ situation, did I do this? Maybe. And the only reason I would try on each one is because most of the time our brain has a block on this. Like, we just can't go there. Uh, it's like a blank space. Um, and I know that was cursory. Like, these aren't super in-depth digging tools. But as I said, they're, this is a hard thing to get to in the psyche. So I hope it's helpful and I hope it's not triggering. Um, before I close, I want to thank my latest sponsors, Catherine on Patreon. Thank you so much. And Maureen, a new monthly sponsor. Thank you so much. And a super awesome donation from Nicole. Thank you, a bajillion. That was wonderful. And a new sponsor on Patreon, Ashley. Thank you so very much. And a wonderful, ginormous new donation from Jenny via Yay With Me. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate you guys so very much, and you really helped this show happen. If anyone out there has the means for a donation, you can head to yaywithme.com or visit me on Patreon. If you don't, totally get it. Um, if you want to leave me a review on iTunes, that helps me a lot as well. Or share it with someone you think might be able to help you uh, use it. So in closing, the effects of shame are easier to manage when you know what they are. They're like bruises, and you will wince at them, but then you can decide how you want to navigate in your life accordingly. It doesn't mean they control you unseen. It's almost like having a couple of sprains in your body, and you're deciding whether or not you want to put weight on that foot versus hopping through life. I will say from my personal experience that, yeah, my shame still exists, but it's, it's like I'm aware of it. It's like, ow, all right, I'm going to keep going anyway. Uh, versus like, you know, just hobbling, but it's still, it's peeling off in layers as I get older. I've read so much about topics similar and I've been through a lot of therapy, but still to this day, I will uncover something new that I didn't realize. It's almost like your fractured brain will reveal things when the rest of the support is lined up and ready. And in a way, it's kind of like its own organic growing process or healing process or shedding process. What had to occur first was for me to choose to move toward it, to question it, to listen to a therapist's opinion and try it on for size, even when I had no faith that I would ever agree with her. So it's like a practice of playing house until one day it's not. So in short, no matter how daunting your personal work happens to be, it's a process. And part of that is organic. It's a process that you cannot muscle. You cannot decide. And that's a good human thing. It means it's not in your control. All you have to do, the only part you are responsible for, is having an intention 
and a commitment. That's it. Start there. And know that much of self-work is just like feeling along a wall in the dark. And it's kind of sloppy. It sometimes feels inefficient. Uh, it's a little clumsy. Sometimes take need to take a break for a little while and come back to it. And then sometimes you'll just stumble upon a, a door. It's like it's, it, you'll hit, you know. Uh, a doorknob and it'll open up and you'll realize, you know, wow, I've been in a closet this whole time. And it won't happen overnight, but it will happen and it will be so enlightening. And then the shame doesn't own you. You own it. Which is awesome. <laughs> uh, so as with all of my episodes, I just want you to please take what helps and leave the rest. My goal is never to hurt you or make you feel unsafe. So do this with help if you feel at all overwhelmed. And as always, I send you my love. And don't forget to smile.